Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Ears International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. As we enter in tonight, I really just feel like two things are going to happen through this Torah portion. One is um, just a deeper understanding of certain kingdom principles or dynamics and also realizing some some paradigms that are very like counterintuitive. I don't think there's there's some principles or dynamics and operation in this Torah portion that I don't think people would naturally think that this is how the kingdom works or this is how I engage certain things. And so um, just a shift in paradigms and and being able to understand and be aware of how counterintuitive the kingdom is sometimes. It's simple, it's profound, but it's not nat- it's not how we would naturally think things would take place. Um, so yeah. Okay, you guys ready? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes! All right, then Adonai appeared to him at, oh my goodness, my eyes. Okay, mom raised, did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Mom raised large trees while he was sitting in the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes to see suddenly three men were standing right by him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down to the ground. Then he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your eyes, please do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought to, brought so you can be, wash your feet and make yourselves comfortable under the tree. And let me bring a bit of bread so that you can refresh yourselves. Then you can pass on, since you have passed by your servant. They said, do just as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, knead three measures of fine flour and prepare bread loaves. Then to the herd, Abraham ran, ran and took a young ox, tender and good, and he gave it to the servant who prepared it quickly. Then he took butter and milk and the young ox that he had prepared and set it before them. While he was standing by them under the tree, they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? There in the tent, he said. Then he said, I will most surely return to you in about a year's time. Surprisingly, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Sarah had stopped having the way of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've grown decrepit, can I have desire? And my Lord so old? Then Adonai said to Abraham, Why is it that Sarah laughed, saying, Can I really give birth when I'm so old? Is anything too difficult for Adonai? At the appointed time, I will return to you in about a year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, No, for you did laugh. Then the men got up from there and looked down over Sodom. Abraham was walking with them to send them off. When Adonai said, Should I keep secret from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham will most certainly become a great mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
For I have made myself known to him, so that he will command his sons and his household after him to keep the way of Adonai by doing righteousness and justice, so that Adonai may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Then Adonai said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great indeed, and their sin is very grievous indeed. I want to go down now and see if they deserve destruction, as its outcry has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham was still standing before Adonai. Abraham drew near and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you really sweep away, not spare this place for the sake of fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to cause the righteous to die with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked share the same fate. Far be it from you. Shall the judge of the world not exercise justice? Then Adonai said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous people within the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham answered and said, Look, pray, I have decided to speak to my Lord. Though I am dust and ashes, suppose the fifty righteous people are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? He said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. So he spoke to him yet again and said, Perhaps forty will be found there. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of the forty. Then he said, Please, let my Lord not be angry, so I may speak. Perhaps thirty will be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Then he said, Look, pray, I have decided to speak to my Lord. Perhaps twenty will be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the twenty. Then he said, Please, let not my Lord be angry, so I may speak once more. Perhaps ten will be there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. And now, when he had finished speaking to Abraham, Adonai left, and Abraham returned to his place. So as we uh, partake of his body, I, I want you guys to envision what I believe is happening is that all of the principles, which we're not even scratching the surface of in this Torah portion, and really every Torah portion when we take communion together, is that what is counterintuitive to us now would begin to be intuitive because we're you know we're we're entering his rest and we're practicing what it's like to be in a heavenly realm and so these things are going to begin to be intuitive to us so as you partake of his body and proclaim that this Torah portion is being written on our heart, that these principles and these kingdom truths would begin to be intuitive to us. And then as we drink of him together, just declaring that it is being established. You guys ready? I'm sure that as you guys eat on this word, you all have a plethora of things that get stirred. So my hope is, is that I just am able to dot connect or really, you know, release some, you know, release some revelation or some depth to some things because at least for me, it's been, but this is also my favorite thing in 
like the world, <laughs> but to dive deep than just reading things at face value. And I think most of us can say that when we did learn the Old Testament, we just kind of read it at face value as some like really good stories of our forefathers, yeah. Yeah. but not necessarily the mysteries or understanding what was going on, especially when you look at if this whole thing is to introduce us to his nature and character, then there's obviously a lot more behind the words because it's yeah. about the nature and character of what's behind something. So I'm just going to, I'm going to give an example. Regina's not here. I got a box from her last night for me to go to Florida with. It was a treasure box and I opened it and inside there was gum and there was some um, nuts and there was some lip balm, sunglasses. And so I'm just taking stuff out of the box and I just packed it thinking this is stuff for me to have on my trip. So she texted me today and she's like, well, did you get the note inside the journal? And I was like, no, I just thought it was a journal. <laughs> so I just, I just packed it. When you read the note and she says, these are clues for Yahweh to reveal himself in what he thinks of you. And these are the words that I got. That gives a little bit more context or the nature of the gift. Versus just face value. I mean, how many of us take the word and just open up the box and be like, I, I, I opened it. Yeah. I got the stuff out. I even engaged the stuff. I looked at it. I packed it. I'm going to use it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in my bags for later. And But then it's like, what do these nuts mean? Gum, nuts, lip balm. All right, I guess it kind of goes along with a trip. I mean, honestly, I was kind of like, well, this is an odd gift. Like, I was like, all right, I mean, okay. Yeah. And then when I read these are clues, it was like, what? You know, so as we're reading the Torah, be thinking about that. Like, what is that treasure box? Don't just take things out and, all right, that, that looks, that's nice, or I'll use that even, but really understand the character and the nature behind what it is that he's presenting. So I hope to, I hope to do that tonight. Um. I do this every time. Um, I always like to, you know, have all my notes nice and neat and be ready to go, but that just didn't happen. So we're just going to kind of flow with it. But um, let me start off with, and I released this a little bit on Voxer, but we shifted into um, uh, basically a new set of Torah portions. So to me, I'm very methodical. I, I like order and structure so to me it this is a powerful thing to have groupings of Torah portions that kind of have like a main theme so if I get super lost in all these mysteries I can go back and be like he just told me to go forth yeah. like the last five weeks was go forth yeah. so if you gained anything there should be a lot more than that but if you gained anything you can always look back and be like there was some stuff in that in movement or in going or to go to a place go forth uh, leh, leha means leave. It means it's, it's time to go. And so that has been the process that we've been in for the last four or five weeks. Now we're moving into a, another layer of Torah portion. I, I'm probably going to say the word wrong, but Vayera. Uh, and, and that means, and he appeared. Now this is super powerful because we all know that he has been appearing. I think at least two times to Avraham himself, he has appeared. It says Yahweh appeared. 
and then gave him a word. So there's something in these next Torah portions that he appears that he's wanting um, to point us to. So we just shifted into that, and so we're stepping into that revelation of him appearing. This should give us great hope when he says to leave, or when he says to go. Now, yeah, and then it's like, but can you show up before I go? Because that would really help things out, right? Versus just go and I'll meet you there. I mean, we've all, we've we've talked about that before, but that's that's. But then this is what getting to know his character and his nature, so you don't get thrown off when it happens to you in life, and you're trying yeah. to figure out what's going on. That is his character and his nature by yeah. faith. Go, and I'm gonna meet you there, and that is what causes you to go. Um. So, and he appeared, just super powerful. Um. We have read, I'm not going to get into this too much, but we have read about the Oaks of Mamre. Um, Oaks of Mamre, I had I had briefly touched on it on one of the Torah portions where to be aware, because there's a lot in this place. Um, obviously, Abraham dwells here. He sets up his house here. Now there's a tree that happens where there's this visitation. There's just a lot that happens in this place. And so to me, that just heightens my awareness. What is the purpose of telling me that Oaks of Mamre over and over and over again is used? Uh, it's the burial place. We'll, we'll see if we'll see about that in the future. But, um, you know, I think about Oaks. Uh, the word Oaks literally means um, a great tree. And then Mamre actually means strength and fatness. So I just thought that that was, you know, significant. And then as of today, it is the highest place in in um, Israel. It's the highest city in Israel. So just, just to kind of give some landmarks and, and where things are happening. And and if I'm understanding right, they started to excavate uh, in, in the um, 1900s. And they were able to gain things from this place, but the city now is actually called the Heights of the Sanctuary of the Friend. So I just think that that's super powerful because we learned previously that Abraham is called a friend. And so just knowing the biblical historical um, place. Anyways, just, just something to take note of. So I, I think now... Maybe I do want to. I, I'm. I. I didn't know if I was. I didn't know if I was going to get into this. I think I'm going to. I don't think I'm going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to touch on this. Um. There is this crazy contradiction in this chapter that religion cannot put their head around this thing. So we're going to try to wrap our head around it. And in the end, if you can't wrap your head around it, I'm not concerned with the theological doctrine that you come up with. I'm more concerned that we understand his character and his nature about what's happening here. Because at the end of the day, the heart is what matters. So if you decide to die on a hill and create a theological doctrine based on that death, (laughs) that's fine. But then just know that you may have to wrestle things in the future if his character or nature goes against the theology that you're standing on. Because he will always wrestle the theology down because he's after his heart and his nature being expressed to you. And if your theological, even if it's right, 
let me just make sure I make that clear. Even if your theological decision is 100% kingdom and absolutely right, he will still wrestle it to the ground just to show his character. That is what a Hebraic thinker thinks. Is that making sense, what I'm saying? You can die on a hill and say, that is my theological doctrine on that situation, and you might be going to heaven and get five stars for how good you are. That's fine. He will still take it from you if it's getting in the way of you understanding his character. So I don't care about right or wrong. I don't care about your theological doctrine. I don't care what religion has to say about this. I am after his character, and that's what I'm going to get at tonight. But we are going to just kind of hit this straight on. (laughs) There are scriptures in the Renewed Covenant that says no one has seen the Father. And he appeared. Very matter-of-factly. There's no odd theological, philosophical explanation here. He just shows up. You, if you don't take the word for face value, how do you wrestle those things in a renewed covenant that says nobody has seen the Father? So, again, my, my, my heart as a mother is that you would not take Timothy's scriptures and say, well, nobody has seen the Father, so that can't be Yahweh in this scripture, which there is a religious sect that says that. Because nobody has seen the Father, this can't be him. But then you can't also then go to the other extreme and just dismiss all those scriptures and say he appears and not understand what's going on either. So in the end, what I care about is whether you fall on, nobody has ever seen the father or he appears, is that he wants to. That the, the deeper aspect that I'm getting from this is regardless of wrestling through the scriptures because you can get into a whole debate with a group of people about whether or not this is Yeshua in pre-incarnate is this uh, uh, Yahweh himself but nobody has seen the Lord like there's these huge arguments could we step out of the argument and say he wants to appear his character and his nature is to reveal himself. And that is what matters. So I'm not standing here saying anything other than I fall on, I read it at face value. The word is Adonai. It is Yahweh. It's Yahweh and two angels. The Father himself wants to reveal himself. Now, if nobody has seen God or the aspect of Yahweh as the Father, what's happening here is you're seeing Yeshua on the earth before Yeshua is on the earth. Does that make sense? Because the Son comes from him and it is him. So, And the reason why I'm getting into this theological stuff is because there's another whole thing that says that Yeshua is not God. And then there's another whole thing that says that Yeshua is God. Again, you can die on that hill. Is Yeshua God in the flesh? Is he the son and can't also be the father? Like, I kind of tend to be like, amen. <laughs> like, I'm not, I, I'm not rattled by... I, 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 I want to train you guys to not be rattled by arguments or not be rattled by a thought process because then what it could do is it can trap you 
into something. I'm not saying I'm not saying just believe everything. Yeah. But I'm just saying understanding his character and his nature gives you context to what it is that you're even wrestling. Yeah. So whether this is Yeshua revealing himself, I'm like amen. And whether or not this is Yahweh himself revealing himself, amen. And so that's not something that I am concerned about other than that he clearly wants a personal, intimate, and real relationship where he wants to reveal himself. Okay? Face value, the word is Yahweh. This is Yahweh. Now, Yahweh obviously births his son, so this is also pointing prophetically as he appears that Yeshua is going to show up on the scene incarnate on on the earth. Now, Paul makes an amazing statement. Let me see if I have the scripture. It's like Acts 2.28, I think. Um, Paul doesn't have any... This is what I mean by a Hebrew. Paul doesn't have any problem saying that it was Yahweh's blood that saves. He doesn't even think twice about it. What I mean by that is is that it, this whole thing about whether it's Yahweh, the Trinity, three in one, we are one, it's they're individuals, they're all one, all of that is subject to the character. That Why would it be that Paul would have no qualms by saying it was Yahweh's blood that was shed? That to me is showing that he understood that Yeshua is him. And at the same time, Yeshua is absolutely his son because he says, I'm I'm only here. I mean, it's very clear. Yeshua says, I'm here to do my father's business. He never says, I am the father. So there's this great mystery of the the Trinity or the, the, the three in one, which brings us back to the Shema that talks about Echad. Remember when I said there's this powerful word in our tzitzit that talks about that he that I am one? Now you'll understand what he's getting at at this greater level when he begins to talk about in the Shema where he says, and I am one. There's this concept of unity that he understands that is a mystery to us because we want everything to be structured and to make sense. So in the end, if it doesn't make sense, can we at least say that there's something beyond our human reasoning and have faith that in his character and his nature, he's wanting to reveal himself? So, like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but the reason why I point that out is because this is a huge chapter that gets pointed to that just trips up Judaism, right? Because the father appeared, but they... But the father has, but nobody's seen the father. So, so there's these these little, um, uh, like it's like a, a trail to a mystery that we're not necessarily tapping into for the purpose of where we're at. But just know that there is so much to come when these things happen, because there's got to this. This is I love contradictions because he can't contradict himself. But there are such clear contradictions in the scriptures that makes you hungry to untwist why do we see it as a contradiction. Because it can't be a contradiction that there are several scriptures that say nobody sees the Father, and yet here the Father appears. So, again, he, 
him him appearing is showing his character and his nature on why he even sends his son in the first place. So this is a huge Torah portion that points us again to the Messiah, which is why it starts off with the promise of a son. Yes, talking about Isaac, but yes, there is a promise, and it's being made real in this in this scripture. Okay? So, for me personally, that was already a huge thing in this chapter. Bless you. Because you have an invisible God becoming visible. So, I want us to step out of the contradictions, step out of what we've known, step out of what you've been told, step out of his character and his nature is that he is invisible and wants to be made visible. And that in itself should have changed the way you walked this entire week. I mean, it blew me out of the water And I think I kind of talked about this because I, you know, went on a trip and I was so filled with fear and so anxious about something so small, losing my kids in an arena. I mean, that's a real thing for a mom. I freaked out. But then when I read this, I'm like, an invisible God. is willing to make himself visible. And had I understood Oaks of Mamre sitting in that stadium, all I would have had to do is just go like this. Because an invisible God would show up and say, let's have a conversation. That we would walk, that he is so real, that this invisible Yahweh wants to be made visible. And his character and his nature, for a lot of chapters, he keeps appearing. And he keeps intermingling with creation. Everything about all of these chapters are all about how creation intermingles with this invisible God. And all of this points to how his invisibility is going to be made actually visible in a man on this earth. But that doesn't negate the fact that before Yeshua was on this earth, he also made himself known and wanted to be visible, which should give us hope that even though Yeshua has been on this earth and has died, even more so that we should have access that this invisible mystery would be made visible. That we wouldn't walk so practical and so earthly minded that we would forget that there, what was that? Oh, it sounded like it was like right there. (laughs) That we wouldn't forget that this mystery would be made would be made known and so uh, real. He he didn't have he didn't have a visit he didn't have a vision he didn't have he didn't have a dream. He he yeah he's eating with him. I mean, this is, a, it's, it's very plain. It's not like just some guy that he was like, I think you might be my Lord. Yeah. <laughs> he bows. Yeah. He calls him my Lord and knows that the other two are angels. And still tells his wife to go make him bread. I'm talking about like visible. Yeah. Not like I had an inclination or I had a thought 
or or I had a and I'm not saying that none of that that's all real he's there's many I mean you could see a burning bush that's Yahweh right I mean there's many ways he shows up but he also shows up in your dining he shows up in conversation he can show up I mean he's feeding him and talking to him and and and, and that, that is that's a, that is a powerful thing so so I just wanted to um, just be pretty straightforward how powerful it is that that Adonai just appears. So much so that they're eating. That's how that's how real he is. Amen. Um, couple of uh, context things with this chapter. Uh, circumcision just happened. So. Three days before. I'm sorry, guys, men, but if your penis just got cut as a man, three days later, you are urgently being hospitable to somebody who shows up at your house. Not, I'm sick and I'm in bed. I mean, he, 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 he's healing himself. And the culture and servanthood of Avraham was to run to him, bow, tell Sarah what to do, and then they didn't, he didn't say go get your servants and go have them go take care of it. He goes and gets the ox. Sarah has to need, the, like they're actively making this meal in, in being hospitable. And what, one of the things that I thought was so, um, you guys will have to look for the word, but he urgently, quick, could we be so have so much discernment that a visitation has appeared and then be that not well let me let me is that you let me i'm gonna pray about that for a week yeah i'm gonna have to figure that one out but to be so urgent get to the kitchen go get the animal let's like let's have a meal so there was there was an urgency in there and there was a culture that was happening um in being hospitable with healing going on. The other thing uh, contextually is that we also know not only three days prior was the circumcision event, which I, I just think is so powerful because Yahweh had just appeared. Yeah. Yeah. He just did all this. Yeah. And then three days later, he comes again. So so the, the quickness in this, but also um, if you remember in chapter 17, he tells Sarah that you're going to have a son in a year. Well, he says it again, which means she's not pregnant yet, and you know that you're pregnant for nine months. So we know that this is within the three-month span. So we just, just, you know, just to kind of, that's at least for me how I kind of read the word. I want to get, like, clues on what's going on. Like, has five years gone by? Has ten years gone by? I'll start to look for those time frames to kind of see what's going on. So then I recognize three months prior was, was when he told the promise again, and then here we are three months later, and he's telling the promise again. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't want to get into that. All right, let me, there's like all this stuff, and then I realize like, oh my gosh, it's going to take forever to get into all of that. So that's what I'm like looking at, being like, mm. um, all right, I want to go down to... Um, I want to stop at when Sarah tested. Um, I, I want to speak about that a little bit. 
One of the things that I want you guys to know is that when he says, I've got to find the actual uh, scripture. When he says, is anything too hard for uh, Yahweh? Let me see. Yes. Verse 14. Is anything too difficult for, for Adonai? That word difficult or hard actually means wonderful. So what he's saying is, is anything too marvelous? Or is anything too miraculous? Or is anything too wonderful for Yahweh? I want to point that out to you guys because in Isaiah 9-6, there's this beautiful scripture. Actually, can somebody pull it up and read it? Isaiah 9-6. Of the increase of his government and shall there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it through justice and righteousness from now till forevermore. The zeal of Adonai to talk uh, will accomplish this. Wondering which version it was. In um in Isaiah 9:6. He calls the one that's coming, his name will be wonderful. So they're talking about Yeshua and calling and, tell, and telling that, that who is to come, that his name will be wonderful. Yes. Oh, okay, sorry. So go ahead and read 9 5. Uh, for unto us a child is born, and a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulders. They will be called wonderful counsel, and mighty God, and my father of eternity. So what's happening here is he's pointing to his son again. So again, the promise of a son is not just Isaac, but there are so many clues in here. Is is it um is anything not too wonderful for for Yahweh? So what he's saying is is even my son is not too wonderful for mankind. It's not too hard. It's, I mean, it's the same word. I mean, our Greek mindset is like, how do those two go together? But think about it. It's not, Yeshua is not hard. It's not too hard to give something wonderful to mankind is, is ultimately what's happening here, which is why it's in relationship to Sarah laughing and saying, how is this going to happen? And he's saying that is, it's not just plain. Nothing's too hard for Yahweh. Like everything's, nothing's impossible, but he's pointing to specifically with a son and a promise of the son. And he's saying that he's basically telling him that there, that, that the, 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 the grandness of my son, that's not hard. It's not hard for me to give that to mankind. So, um, so that, that is a, a powerful thing. The other thing is, is when he says that you're going to have a son in a year or in a set time, that word is moed, which is the for moedim, which we've talked about with the festivals. So that so again, he's basically saying an appointed time, and um, some some commentators will say that they believe that Isaac was born during Passover. So when he's saying that at this appointed time or during that moed, he's saying he's talking about something appointed in a specific time. So. It's connected with the yearly festivals, which makes sense because we know that Isaac is also pointing to, you know, everything that everything that Torah is points to the Messiah. And the Messiah is always pointing back to the Torah, so it's all connected. 
Um, another thing I wanted to point out, because we've talked about this all the way from the beginning of Genesis, that through one man, sin entered the earth, and through one man, uh, salvation came. It's interesting that in Sarah's doubt, that he's dealing with Abraham. He doesn't, he ta- he's talking to Abraham about Sarah. Now, look at the great reversal. Females have this, I mean, they are the helper. They have this amazing discernment. And they also have amazing discernment. So depending on what voice you're listening to, females are very, they are so in tune with Yahweh and can be so in tune with Hasatan. Yeah. Real. Right? I mean, but it's a gifting that we have. We're, we, it's, we are the helper. We're the helpmate. We, we are, there's this, in this, um, there's this thing that he's created us for to be able to, to, um, to just know things. But then in that, we also can be filled with extreme doubt. So if you think about the reversal, when Eve is getting she's filled with doubt then disobeys the whole concept of that was where was the head where where what where where was he well here you've got sarah doing the same thing she's laughing saying this isn't this is impossible who is he dealing with not sarah abraham because he had he's the head and has the ability to be able to reverse that so I, I wanted to point that out that I thought that, that was interesting. And but what's even more powerful than that is he knew her inner thoughts. Because he didn't hear her laugh, which is why she had the ability to lie. I didn't laugh. Because it wasn't loud. It wasn't like she did it loud enough to where he heard it. It's something that he knew in her inner thoughts. Now it seems inter- to me. This is just kind of interesting. Let's just read this again. Um, at the appointed time in about a year, Sarah will have a son. Uh, sorry, before that, why is it that Sarah laughed? Can I really give birth uh, when I'm so old? Is anything too difficult for Adonai? At the appointed time, I'll return to you in about a year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, "I didn't laugh, for she was afraid." But he said, "No, for you did laugh." It- when I read that, I, at first I was just kind of like, what a weird exchange. Yeah. She laughs. He says, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. No, you did laugh. <laughs> like, they're like literally arguing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was like a straight up, like, for him to even have like the last word. No, you did laugh. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, I mean, you'd think that it, he'd like teach her, like, well, you know, it was just kind of like, yeah, it was, no, so it was just, it was just this straight up argument. What I, what I got from that is that God will continue to pinpoint your hidden issues until you deal with them. Because this laugh thing was, was all internal. It was, an in, it was an internal thing. I mean, until they started arguing about it because she got called out, right? But it wasn't like she... Let me see if I can say that again. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent. Now, remember... Abraham's out by a tree. Sarah laughed to herself. So it's not like they're hanging out together and she laughs at him. She's by herself. Yeah. Think, just insert yourself in the story. How many of us are in the shower? 
That might just be my time to cry. <laughs> or laugh. Or, yeah, right. Come on. This is real. You know, he, you know, I whatever. He says a promise. He says it again. Three months later, he says it again. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm mocking. And he knows my inner thoughts. And he's like, then he just like calls it out. And, 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 and then she, after I've grown decrepit, <laughs> can I have a desire and my Lord so old? Talking about her husband. Like, what? what? He's going to be able to do it? <laughs> you guys have to read the scriptures with me. It's super fun. I like have this whole thing going on. But she does. I mean, she's talking about old she is. But there's a purpose in this. Because the point is, is when he combats, he's saying, no, by natural measures, this is going to happen. Because he needs to point to the miracle. It's the same thing that happens with Mary when everybody's like, really, virgin? It's, this, it's the same thing. I mean, she's making the point, like, uh, when it says that she, um, uh, how, did, how, did it, how did they say it? She's not a woman anymore, however that went. Sorry, this is not my Bible, so I'm getting weirded out with where the scripture is. I know it's the same, but it's like in a different yeah. spot. But you know, she, the way of women. I don't have the way of women. She, she doesn't have her period anymore. She's in menopause, guys. Yeah. Can I talk about menopause seasons? Is she like 100? Think about this spiritually. Yeah. The men got circumcision. Women, menopause time. Right? But think about this spiritually. Yeah. It's not even a season. Menopause is a definite. It's not even a season. It's your. It's your life. It, it menopause is gets over. <laughs> this isn't a season. Oh, you're going through a menopause season. Have you ever heard of that? You've heard dry season, right? But women ain't dry. Like it's you just keep going. You just keep. I know. But like, but menopause—that's an event. Yeah. That's a life-changing, done deal. It's an event. So think about spiritually. Has it ever been in your life that you have a menopausal event? That means it's over. In the natural, it's done. Cannot happen. It's over. Not a season. Not a not a two-year thing. Menopausal event, meaning a complete shift that says done. Totally not possible. That's why she's laughing. Right. That's why she's, she's if, if something happened in my life, if I got in a car accident and my leg is amputated, I mean, it's gone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, that's a menopausal event right there. That's not a season. It's not like for two years it's gone and then it'll grow back. It's gone. And Yahweh goes, you will walk with two legs. Yeah. I'm going to be like, ah. yeah. But then he goes after it. Yeah. He goes after it and argues and goes, no, you did laugh. Now, here's what's so powerful. He didn't take away the promise. Yeah. To teach her a lesson in her yeah. doubt, he didn't take away the promise. Right. Yeah. If, I, if In that situation, he didn't say, well, you don't get your leg then. Yeah. He gave her, I was going to say he gave her her leg. He gave, he gave her her leg, but dealt with the, the hiddenness of where she was at. By calling that out. That to me is super powerful that Yahweh is that good. That he is going to catch you in your secret time. 
where you're just mocking and laughing at the impossible, and he's going to he's going to keep after it until. Yeah. Hmm. Amen. Yeah. I mean, so awesome. Um, and another thing to catch in the pattern, when doubt enters in, it's usually right before the promise comes. Yeah. Because they were fine for the last 25 years. Maybe a little doubt here and there, mainly on Abraham. I mean, I remember her at one point saying, like, well, how's that going to work? But then she just tried to fix it herself and said, well, I mean, it, he didn't right. promise me. Go do, go, go be with the, the slave and have Ishmael, right? Like, she was more, you know, the female. Problem solving, <laughs> rationalizing, yeah. maybe even over-spiritualizing. <laughs> right? And not recognizing that this is literal. Like, we can over-spiritualize things and not realize, no, real, like, through natural measures, you're actually going to have a son. So think about that, though, females and men. Being, you know, that, that doubt typically comes right before the promise is coming because yeah. this is some pretty loud yeah. doubt. Yeah. And it's like, no, in a year. Now, remember, three months prior, she was just told you're going to have a baby in a year. Right. So it's not like this is a new thing. They already knew they were going to have a son for a while. But just three months ago, Sarah was told, no, you're going to have a son in a year. Now they get a visitation from Yahweh himself, and he says it again, and she, there's still doubt. So just think about the intensity or the time frame of a promise being repeated right before it comes begins to happen in smaller increments and more doubt also begins to reveal itself. So be looking for those patterns in our life, okay? Um, oh, yeah. And so going along with that, Romans uh, 10, 17, you know, where it says faith by hearing. So th her faith needed to be activated by hearing because this promise just kept, kept coming forth. So be remembering about that scripture. So like I said before, he deals with sin. He's going to deal with the sin of unbelief, but not by taking away the promise. Yeah. But he is going to deal with the sin of unbelief. Which is such a beautiful picture because with or without your belief, Yeshua showed up. He doesn't take away the promise based on your unbelief, but he will deal with the sin of your unbelief. This is what it means in Second Timothy where it says he remains faithful. When you don't remain faithful, he remains faithful. Okay? All right. I think that that was it for context. Now I want to get into the nitty-gritty of what was going on with um, Abraham. You guys ready for that? Just take some water. I feel like I need a break. Intermission. Okay. Um, okay, I'm going to preface everything after this moving into Abraham's interaction by saying that Yahweh had a goal in all of this there's a lot of things that happen in this chapter that makes you wonder does he does he does he not know what's going on in Sodom is is he asking Abraham questions cuz he doesn't know Clearly not. 
There's an end goal, and this is part of Avraham's character and nature, and this is something that we've got to grab a hold of. What Yahweh was doing, and, and he actually repeats it in here. I, I'm going to read this because this hit me when Rebecca was reading it again. Uh, like So going back to what I just said, should I keep a secret from Avraham? What? And why, why is he even revealing his inner thoughts here? Remember who's writing this, Moshe. There's a purpose... He, he wants his character and his inner thoughts revealed to the reader of Genesis. So you're not just reading a story. You're reading Moshe's heart for you as the reader to know what Yahweh's doing. It's a whole different way to read scripture. Instead of reading it for face value, like Yahweh says, should I keep a secret from Abraham? Uh, what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham will most certainly become a great and mighty nation. Like, it, it doesn't quite make sense when you're reading it that way, but when you understand that Moshe is the author and is trying to let the reader know what, what Yahweh was thinking, it opens you up to begin to understand some of those deeper mysteries on what it is that Yahweh's trying to get across about his character and his nature. That's why we know this is not just a story. Okay. And obviously, he's not really asking himself, should I, should I keep a secret? So, so there's something that's really powerful in this, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read through this. Seeing that Abraham will most certainly become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. There's that promise. For I have made myself known. Here's this two-way thing I've been talking about. For I have made myself known to him so that... He will command his sons and his household after him to keep the way of Adonai by doing righteous and justice so that Adonai may bring upon Abraham, Abraham what he has spoken about him. Interesting. Yahweh himself is having these thoughts about what do I need to do as a father Knowing that I've called this man to bring forth a great nation, because in that great nation will be when he commands his sons to do right, when they do right, I then can. It's not all Yahweh, and it's not all Avraham. We see that, and we saw that in the last chapter when I was talking. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. And here's what's going to happen when that happens. Here we see it again. Here's what I've said Abraham is. Here's what he's going to do in response to what I've said so that I can. This is, this is the powerful part. This is the powerful aspect of the gospel. So, so here, here's what I see. Yahweh, do you have a great nation that's to come from you? Yes. Are you to command your sons to do what's right? Yes. This is insight that Yahweh is doing some training here. This whole thing is not because he actually has to have a conversation about Sodom and Gomorrah. He's doing something to pull something out of this great leader to be able to function in the role that he's called him to so that he can do what he needs to do with Abraham. Okay? We, this, this is a blueprint on how to intercede. 
And what Yahweh is doing is teaching his son that I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to teach you how to be a priest. I'm going to teach you how to stand in the gap for others. Mm-hmm. Yahweh didn't need that. But he did if he wanted a great leader on this earth so that he could continue in what it was that he called Abraham to do. So he knows that he is, remember when I said he was already righteous. Abraham is already righteous so that Abraham can prove his righteousness. Well, here's a situation where Yahweh himself begins a training ground on how to, um, how a great leader should position himself. Is that making sense? So now you read it a little bit differently instead of like, well, what is this bargaining? Like, what, what does this mean to bargain? What he's doing is, is he's drawing Abraham near to teach him a pattern. And we're going to learn that pattern tonight. Okay? So it's like, it's like Yahweh knew that because a mighty nation was going to come from this man, he needed to teach him how to stand with him over a city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not because Yahweh really needed to bounce off of Abraham. Now, I'm going to go into a little bit of some practical stuff here because I, I want to make this real. Yahweh and these angels and Avraham are in a conversation, okay? And they're talking about people, okay? There's nothing in this that says, let's just share for the sake of sharing about this city. Let's just gossip about those people over there in sin. There's nothing about this at all that has anything to do with curiosity. Avraham's not curious. Uh, Yahweh's not curious. I want to get the right spirit. We're seeing an interaction here that's very kingdom and very purposeful and how easy it is for the enemy to use those same conversations and twist it for something completely and totally different. Curiosity isn't a part of this. Gossip isn't a part of, a part, part of this. But what's happening is training. And what he's doing is, is he's, he's training Avraham to be able to pinpoint and get specific and move Yahweh to do something. Okay? So I, I don't know why that really hit me, but I just felt like there's this intimate conversation and it's about wicked people. But there's nothing about the conversation that's like, Talking for the sake of talking. I guess what I'm saying is when we intercede, it's not for the sake of talking. There's purpose. There's direction. It's focused. And that doesn't mean that we don't like have intimate conversations. I'm just saying that that there is such um, purpose in this conversation, especially when dealing with other people. Because you see that Abraham steps into a place where he always like they're all go, they're all out. And Abraham cares about those people. There was no need for him. I mean, of course we know that his that Lot is there. But he didn't just say, can you, can you get Lot out of there? He's talking about the people that are there. So you see this great leader care for a city 
beyond selfish gain, beyond his own family. And basically what Abraham's doing is he's he's looking... I, I don't know if this is making sense. It's like you, you have a, a leader that a great nation is going to come from having a conversation with Yahweh where Yahweh says they're all wicked. And you have Abraham saying, but maybe they aren't all. That's his position. Do we take on that position in conversations? Come on now. That's the position that Abraham had over Yahweh. That his position was to care for a city in the midst of wickedness. I mean, he talks about, Yahweh says the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. What's the outcry? I mean, I mean, the magnitude of the cries could have been himself, his own outcry over a city. Because he told Abraham, now, now think about this. He's telling this leader who's going to be a leader of a great nation, the nation I said was all yours, that was going to be blessed. But I'm about to destroy part of your nation. I could see him needing to have a conversation with Abraham, his covenant partner, who might get confused. You told me this whole thing was going to be blessed, but now you're telling me that this whole thing is going to, this whole area is going to get destroyed. Do you see the position Abraham is? <laughs> Good. That, that that ain't mine. Yeah. That may, or that's fine. They're all in sin. Yeah. And and. Oh, I'm curious what's going on down there. And, and like the conversation being earthly versus this humble boldness of, but there might be some righteous, there might be some righteousness in that. Abraham standing in a place to call out the gold in a place that Yahweh is saying it's completely justified to completely just get rid of them. That's the priesthood that we carry and how much, It'll flip on us that we actually be the become the ones who will go to Yahweh and be like, see that? See that over there? Can you take care of that? I know that this whole thing is supposed to be blessed, but I can't handle that. So, like, I'm curious. What's going on over there? Can you take care of that? Will you condemn them for me? How different that is in a position where Abraham's hearing from Yahweh that there's nothing good. And he goes, but there might be. Could we be that kind of priest that would be in a position to be able to intercede? Now, Abraham is the son, right? Because he's the father. And through Abraham, Yeshua comes. Now you get a taste of the type of priesthood that Yeshua is. When he says that I intercede on your behalf to my father... That's the kind of intercession we have that when everything is wicked, he's the one that says, but father, could there at least, what if there was 10 Mm -hmm. and you are to walk after your elder brother? This is super powerful for us to understand the type of conversations that we need to be having with Yahweh and our position on this earth to see things from that perspective, to convince Yahweh, which I'm going to get to. To remind him of his character and his nature. Because he will listen to his sons. How detrimental is it when his sons begin to act like fools 
and start advocating to Yahweh to start destroying people because of our judgment is on a lower, lower scale versus being able to be a place that can see and call out the gold and then go to Yahweh in that, in that regard. Okay. Um, oh, I was, I was going to talk about the outcries. I, I was thinking about it could be his outcry. Angels could be outcrying. Victims of the city could be outcrying. Uh, I mean, that when the magnitude, when he says, "I've heard the cries," you just gotta, you gotta think about, you gotta think about that. What Abraham was standing over, okay? All of creation was, was, you know, outcrying that it, that, that he heard it. Um, are you guys doing okay? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yes, I wanted to talk about that. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm going to also speak to this very plainly. <laughs> this city was operating in uh, idolatry. Okay, now that word has been thrown around in the last four or five months like that's normal. I want us to, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures that point to Sodom. Now, Sodom, all we know in, about this city is that there's wickedness. But we learn in other scriptures what kind of wickedness. We find out it's idolatry. But here's what I want to point out. Um... Uh, let me see. Ezekiel says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. Uh, Jeremiah, among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have been a hor- I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood, and they strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. The reason why I point that out is because when we talk about idolatry, all idolatry leads to sexual sin. So if we're going to throw out idolatry, then we also have to look at the the fruit of idolatry will ultimately become your own you become your own god and leads into sexual sin because it's always um, adultery. I mean, idolatry is adultery away from him, so it leads to to sexual sin. So I just I I just want to make sure that we're understanding the magnitude of this conversation over a city that is. Uh, genuine, genuinely sounds weird, but actually dealing with idolatry and operating in in sexual sin and the level of wickedness that was there. So again, going back to what I was just talking about, we need to be careful about the things that we use as a um, mm-hmm. as an overseer over the earth. What we're claiming on things. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Does that make sense? Because if, especially if we know that we're prone to doubt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his wife. I mean, this is Abraham. He's got a. He's looking at a city, and his wife was just laughing. Like this is a real life situation. Um. Am I? Is that the second sentence? 
you you've talked about this. Like a a wife will make her um her husband known at the city gates. Meaning there is such magnitude to the position that we hold before we start throwing out, well, over here there's this and over here there's that, especially when just, you know, two minutes later you were laughing about your own promise. Right. Am I making yeah. sense? Yeah. I'm trying to get us to understand the gravity of the role that Abraham was taking as a priest, essentially, to be able to intercede on behalf and how he viewed those things and how easy it is in culture, in the world, um, I mean, in the world, in religion, in churches, to just flippantly say, I discern there's this going on with you. And we've completely missed the whole training ground of what you're supposed to stand for. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's become mm-hmm. more of a, um, a, a lot of ministries have become more of a, a spiritual discernment to call out yeah. Yeah. sins. Yeah. And, and, and could we be Abraham yeah. and say, even though, could there be at least 10 righteous, right? That we would focus on the gold in something than to focus on what it is that we're deeming and to understand the gravity of what it is that you're, you're deeming. Okay. Um, okay. So getting into the thick of this whole bargaining, um, I, want, I wanted to just kind of go over the pattern. Let me do that first. Because a couple things before I get into the pattern of intercession. He he says I need to go down and see it for myself. Now that's kind of an interesting thing because I'm thinking to myself, Yahweh, I'm sure Yahweh knows. But he's saying I want to go down and see for myself. To me what that's showing me is that his character is so righteous that he is going to operate off of accurate knowledge. He's, he's that good. So this goes back to some growing kid stuff. Tattling. Yahweh's going to come down and find out for himself. Yeah. Okay? So to me, that's the direct, ac- accurate knowledge that he was wanting. And what it shows is that his, um, his character for knowledge and integrity is there. So his integrity is there that he's saying, I've heard the cries and I want to go and and see it for myself. So he's showing his character and integrity that he doesn't do things flippantly. Right? Okay. Um, I've already talked about this, that Abraham, um, that the, the godless strangers of Sodom and Gomorrah are his concern. That, the, that him being somebody who was going to birth a nation would ultimately, he has a concern for the people in this place, right? Um, so let's go over the pattern of what's happening, of what's happening here. So the first, the first thing that happens is it said, I, I want to read out the scripture, but the first thing that ha- happens is he comes near. So if we go to, um, he goes through the whole thing. Then Adonai said the outcry, talked about all that. Then the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But but Avraham was still standing before Adonai. Next verse, verse 23. Avraham drew near. Okay, first pattern. 
in prayer, in intercession, in conversation, in bargaining, in however you want to view this, the next part of this conversation, the first thing is you've got to get near. Mm-hmm. You cannot, and this is kind of tying into what I was saying, you cannot speak something into existence, you can't judge something into existence, you can't pray something into existence if you are not near his heart, because then you will end up praying your own will and not his will. Yep. What happens here is Abraham does not pray his own his own desires, but he bounces off his desires off of Yahweh himself and is so close to him that they have that kind of conversation for him to be able to uh, speak on something. He's not in this house. Why Yahweh's out by the tree. He, he And he was already near him. They were already close enough to be eating. They were already close enough to be having a conversation. He he gets closer. So that's the first step is uh, Avraham draws near. Then he says, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, I, I don't know why I heard this in the spirit. So maybe it's not for any of you, but I heard this in the spirit to speak to it. The scripture says he reigns on the just and the unjust. He does not say he blesses the just and the unjust. So I don't know why I heard that in the spirit, but I want to make a distinction. Meaning the sun's going to come up on the just and the unjust. That does not mean he blesses the just and the unjust. He blesses the just, he judges the unjust. Period. So sometimes we take that scripture, he reigns on the just and the unjust like it's all even. Yeah. That, that, that's not what rain means. It means yeah. you're on this earth. You're going to have to deal with the sun and the rain and the snow and the sleet. But in the end, my blessings are for those who are just. My curses are for those who are unjust. Yeah. Okay? Um, so Abraham says, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What he's doing here is he's... Um, uh, he's reminding Yahweh of his own character. Now, that doesn't mean I'm saying that Yahweh needs to be reminded, but what that's showing me is that Abraham knew him so well that he knew his character to be able to remind him of his character. Surely you would not do this. Meaning, we can be that bold with Yahweh himself when you yadah him, when you know him, to remind him of his character and nature. Yeah. Not because he needs to be reminded, but ultimately because he wants you to be reminded of who he is and for you to right. know him. So what's yeah. being established is he comes close and then he immediately establishes some principles within this prayer. Think about the pattern when you pray. Get close, establish the principle. Don't get close and start praying, I want this and I need that or whatever or what, you know, in the name of Jesus. Get close, establish a principle. Get close, establish a principle. Find out his character and his nature and establish it. Get close, you are faithful. Surely you are faithful. That's not me saying, if I'm struggling with doubt or like questioning what's going on, that's me coming as a humble, bold daughter that says, surely your word Surely you've said you are faithful. Not like you're not faithful, but I'm, I am reminding you that you are faithful so that you know that I know that you know that I know that you're faithful. <laughs> yeah. He wants that from us. 
It's not, it's not a place. He, Abraham's not being like, really, dude? You're going to do that? I know better than you. He's not coming in arrogant. He's not coming in hot. He's coming in and establishing a principle that he knows. Super powerful. Before you begin to intercede or bargain with Yahweh, which you are, should do as a leader of a nation, is to know who he is and establish the principle. Okay? That's the second thing. Establish the principle. Remind him of his nature. You have to know who he is. This is so, this is so, when he said that this needs to be intuitive, guys, you got to know him and you got to know how he works. If you want to establish a principle, you need to know how he works. Abraham knew how he worked. That's why he was able to say that. You have to be so intimate that you can actually remind God of who he is. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but if we are co-laborers and we are his co-covenant partner, would he not want us to be so intimate with him that we would know his character and his nature? To, to remind him, again, not that he needs to be reminded, but that he wants to know that you can remind him because you know him. Yeah. You're not coming to him in doubt. Mm -hmm. He just corrected Sarah for laughing. You're not coming to him out of pleading. You're not coming to him lowly. And I don't mean lowly, like not prideful. I mean like, you're, you, you know what I mean? You're not coming to him outside of your nature. He wants you to know your nature, which is a powerful son who knows who he is, knows his character, knows how he works, and can remind him of who he is. Yeah. Okay? Third. Ask. Draw near. Establish a principle. Ask. It's very clear. He just, will you, uh, um, where is this at? Shall the judge of the whole world not exercise justice? Will you do this for 50? He, he just ask. Yeah. But don't just ask. Don't just boldly use that scripture. I boldly come before the throne and start asking. Draw near, establish the principle and ask from that place. He's teaching us how to ask from power and not ask from poverty. Fourth, there's agreement. He, like he agrees. Every time he asks, he agrees. <laughs> Draw near, establish a principle, ask, agree. Draw near, establish a principle, ask, he agrees. I mean, and this is where the bar, he, he just keeps saying, okay, well, will you do it for 50? How about 45? And it's interesting. He, he goes in fives, then he goes in tens. Because he starts to recognize. He's, do you see what Yahweh's doing? He's drawing out the intercession yeah. out of Avraham. He's drawing out a leader that would be able to understand his ways that he could position himself 45, 35, 25. How about 10? <laughs> and every time, yeah, sure. I mean, it makes me wonder if if uh, if Abraham would have said, "How about four? I was wondering why he stopped at ten. I don't know. But what's crazy is, well, here's what we do know: the chapter that's coming, there wasn't even ten. So does that mean that everything Abraham did was in vain? No, because he was teaching him about his relationship. Because it wasn't in vain. Because in the end, there wasn't even ten. So we could say, well, then none of that mattered. But in the end, 
what Yahweh was doing with Abraham was training him. We don't know if he would have said if there was four. But he allowed Abraham to stop because Abraham stopped. I mean, he didn't say like, hey, you want to, you don't, does that make sense? Like he, he, that's where it ended. And then we see what ends up happening. Um, yeah. So again, when you come to him and you draw near and that principle is established, what's happening is, is you're being very specific. What I'm learning in this is be very specific. This is not a, um, tossing wishes that are so vague maybe Yahweh will show his faithfulness if I just say like this really big thing and then I'll over spiritualize because he kind of showed up that it was 50 45 35 I mean it was it's specific it's over a city it 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 was it was very pointed it was very focused it was very very direct so there's something about Abraham that we learn here that there's this bold humility because he, he keeps saying, but I'm just ashes and dust. Don't be angry with me that I may speak. It's not him coming in and being like, are you, are you serious, dude? You're, you're going to not be a righteous judge? He's, he's not coming in that way, but he is coming in boldly, but he's coming in humble. And this is a perfect picture of what that looks like for us to walk humbly and boldly at the same time. This, this goes back to the beginning of what we were talking about. Um, he also was persistent because how many of us would say, well, would you do it for 50? And then kind of stop there and be like, okay, well, you know, whatever the Lord wants to do, it's up to him now. I did my part, but he didn't. He kept, get, he, he was persistent in saying, what about this? What about this? Because he's teaching us how specific we can be instead of saying, it's out of my hands now. I tried. Yahweh's going to have to do his thing versus being able to um, have that position with him. All right. Basically, uh, the the kind of to circle the whole thing around with that whole bargain side of it is that we, well, Abraham understood this, but what we can learn from him is that we are be- we can begin to understand that the eternal destiny of people is in our hands. Because we don't know if he said, what about if there was four? Yeah. So he's showing us the level yeah. of authority and power that we have when we draw near and we speak from his heart and how his heart operates, what can be accomplished on this earth. Because the eternal destiny is, is in our hands, if, if that makes sense, as, as covenant partners. So, um. Yeah, I think that I am going to leave it at that. But ultimately, from all of this, is that Yahweh was drawing Abraham to his heart in order to mold him into the image of a son, which is a picture of what he does with us with Yeshua that he takes us and he's wanting us to walk in that image and he's training him on how to do that. Um, There was one other thing.
I guess there would just be one more thing that I would um, just want to, part of this I'm, I'm not necessarily teaching on, but when you read the half Torah and you read the, um, the apostles portion, you, again, because I want to focus on his character and his nature, and I hope that I did that in the sense of his character and his nature to train us and who he is as, as a father who will present himself and reveal himself, but ultimately not just to reveal himself, just to show off, but to reveal yeah. himself, to reveal yourself. Yes. Right? He came to reveal himself so that Avraham could be revealed. Yeah. That's what he's doing in this. And I want us to remember that, again, his visitation was so real that they ate together and they talked together. That Yahweh, Yahweh cares about the, in, the intricacies of humankind. And... Um, Kind of going back to the whole, whose blood is it, right? Like, is it Yahweh, is it Yeshua, and Paul says that his blood, and are they the same blood? All of that. Um, to just hold on to that it there is, there is nothing too miraculous for Yahweh. That there is nothing too hard for him. And that he is the giver of life. So in a season where it was a menopause event, absolutely, utterly, completely impossible, Yahweh is saying, in a year you will have a son, and it will be by natural means. Now, with that, the, I, I want to, I just want to point this out. In the apostles' um, scripture in this Torah in this Torah portion it talks about what we've been talking about with the tzitzit the woman with blood and the reason why I point this out is I thought that this was so powerful because I keep talking about these two battlefields or spectra you know all the way over here and all the way over here and why I want to train my sons and daughters to be Hebrew thinkers is because I hope I hope this, this makes sense but Sarah had no blood she had no blood flow so she couldn't have a baby the woman with the issue of blood had too much blood flow. The reason why I point this out is because if you die on the hill of he is the healer of the one that doesn't have any blood, and you and I'm not saying that we would literally make a theological doctrine. I'm making the point of how good he is, that he is beyond our rational thinking, and why I can talk about two theological doctrines and say that it comes full circle. I can yeah. do this also with his miraculous power. There's a woman named Sarah who had no more blood. And she had to birth a baby. And he came and gave life. There was a woman that had too much blood, grabbed a hold of his garment, and she was healed. So he is the giver of life for those who are suffering too much blood flow and for those who have no blood flow. Yeah. And that is why I don't create a doctrine on the God who saves. Hi, baby. <laughs> Does that, if I make it, not that we would actually, I'm, I'm, I'm making an analogy here. I don't want to be the one that will create a doctrine on the Yahweh that will show up for the woman who doesn't have any blood and neglect the fact that a woman who has too much blood, he won't show up for. But I also don't want to get so much in the renewed covenant that I only remember that Yeshua only saves those for those who have too much blood. Do you hear what I'm talking about on multiple dimensions? And that he is there to give the giver of life both. Yeah. Both those that are dry, those that are full. Yeah, yeah. 
Either way, they're both, it's both deadly. And he is the one that brings life. So it just kind of, uh, it just kind of comes full circle with his character and his nature and why we're looking at things from multiple sides to be able to see the fullness of his, of his, his integrity. Isn't it amazing to, to receive revelation of how Yahweh is? Like to truly understand how the father of our faith operated in his relationship with Yahweh and how that impacted everything that he was called to impact. Um, I guess the best way I could describe um, just another aspect of this is as mom's talking about the responsibility on both parts of the covenant I want to focus on Abraham sitting at the at the door of the tent and all throughout scripture right as Hebrews as crossover people we we should always be looking for like thresholds or crossover points anytime somebody's at a, a point of crossing over something whether it's going through a door sitting at a door sitting at a gate you know traversing a river right that's characteristic of who we are and so he was at the time that he was mm-hmm. sitting at a threshold which i want us to know that we are sitting at a threshold right now we're expanding right we're stepping over we're crossing over something so in the similar way that he was positioned we're positioned the same way right now crossing over something because we're 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 that's characteristic of who we are and to him in that moment he was approached by these three men that was impromptu to him that wasn't he didn't know that was going to happen right to him it just happened but to Yahweh and to these angels within that interaction that was impromptu to him sitting at a threshold to them they were releasing the appointed time of the promise Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you think about time to yeah. him, yeah, yeah. it was just like this thing just happened. These men just mm-hmm. showed up, which is why he was rushing around to receive them into his his family, his household, right? But to them, Yahweh knew right. there's this dynamic of what's there can be things that are that are impromptu to you, meaning they just happen. You don't know they're going to happen. But to Yahweh, that's his opportunity to release something that you were ordained to do. It's like this weird dichotomy, right? So we're sitting at a threshold. And I want us to start, we need to start thinking this way. How Yahweh operates and start thinking the ways that the father of our faith thought. So we're sitting at a threshold right now, this family, yeah. right? There may be things that just happen yeah. 
that provides an opportunity for things ordained of Yahweh to be released to you. Yeah. Now, what, how, what is the mechanism to allow us to receive that? To not just blow off things that might happen. And this is crazy to me because, and this ties into the next chapter as well, and we've talked about how important honor is and how honor will provide us a level of breaking through into another place. And in this, in this time, there were no hotels, motels, right? When people were traveling, they were dependent on the hospitality of strangers to be able to get rest. And so the thing that bridged the gap between something that was totally random to him sitting at the door of his tent and everything else that transpired after that to include the timing of his promise, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The ordained appointed time of his promise yeah. was his hospitality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because he said, "Don't." He said, "So that you may not pass by me." So there was a chance he could have just passed by, but yeah. passed by him. So he, there's. He asked him, "Let me do what I need to do, so that right. you don't just keep traveling." Yeah. Like his, we have to, we have to understand, and this goes into a, a much larger picture. We have to understand that you can have a random encounter. Yeah. And your hospitality could be the thing that makes the difference between you totally missing out on receiving something ordained for you or being able to receive it. And beyond that, all these dynamics we see beyond that. Yeah. When it talks about him keeping Yahweh's way or the righteousness and the justice that we see play out. That's all predicated on him being hospitable. So think about think about the way we've been led to have different people host and set the environment. Why? People might be like, this is weird. This is stupid. Right? People could say that. Why? Uh, you know, men could easily say it, just generally speaking. This is dumb. I'm not, you know, the ladies can do that or whatever. Like, not saying I think like that, but just generally speaking, that could be a dynamic, right? Or the honor is just getting out of hand. Well, honor is setting a foundation for us to engage in hospitality and hosting so that it can open up, uh, uh, it can lay a foundation for us to entertain heaven. Like he hosted Yahweh and two angels to be able, when it talks about him interceding, it, it laid a foundation for him to deliberate with Yahweh, to deliberate, to engage in long and careful consideration with his father concerning Sodom. Like... So I just I want to swing to to focus on what was he doing that allowed for this whole interaction to happen in the first place? Because if he hadn't have done that, it would have been a totally different story. 
Now what's interesting about Sodom, right? We've all heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's where the word sodomy comes from, right? Not to get graphic about sodomy or whatever, but we all that's where that word comes from, right? And we all typically associate the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, the greatest, you know, the thing that it's known for is the homosexuality. And she just said, um, how did you say it? Apart. What leads to sexual sin? Idolatry. Idolatry. Um, what's interesting about this chapter and the next one, and obviously we'll get into it next week, is that Yahweh is showing two opposite dynamics. There's a reason why hospitality is highlighted Same family. in this chapter. Because in the next chapter, you're going to see how the culture of Sodom was wrought with what I would describe as violent inhospitality. Not only were they not hospitable, they were violently not hospitable. Think about just... You know, if you go into one culture and you feel like, man, the honor here, the I was received so well, versus if you go into another culture and it's like you can be assaulted, right? It's like the opposite. And the reason, I think, I almost feel like, and it's it goes to what she said, we, we have to not just look on the surface, right? We're people that deal with root matters, right? So when you see whatever sin you see on the surface, it's immature to just deal with whatever that is on the surface, right? We always want to be able to, it's like the uh, the jars that we had with the plants. We want to be able to deal with what we can see as the root issue, right? And so in um, verse 20 of this chapter, Adonai says, the outcry is great, their sin is very grievous indeed. So he, he, it's like she said, he knows that their sin is grievous. Right? He knows that. We're, that's his infinite knowledge. But his infinite knowledge is different than our free will and how we respond to him. So this is what's interesting, is he says... Their sin is grievous indeed. He makes a statement. He makes a judgment about Sodom. But then he says, I want to go down and see if they deserve destruction. Which is weird, right? So what is he basing on their whether they deserve destruction or not? He already made the he already declared right. them to be grievously sinful. Indeed. But I'm going to go down there and see if they deserve destruction. Now, we, we'll get into it next week, but I want you guys to be thinking of the dynamic of hospitality, right? When we talk about knowing Yahweh, but also knowing how He is, this is where it gets counterintuitive because it's like, it's like you're telling me that I mean, think about think about if you had. I'm trying. Think about if you had a lottery ticket in your pocket, and it was worth a hundred million dollars. 
and you forgot to empty your pockets before you threw your pants in the washing machine. Right? What's more important? Like the hundred million dollars essentially didn't matter because you didn't do something so little as emptying your pockets. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's that's how hospitality and essentially the definition of hospitality is how you honor strangers in your land. Right? It speaks to what his mindset was concerning any seed of righteousness that could be in a place that is grievously sinful. Even just a seed. And that's what he's concerned about. Um, As you guys dive into this next Torah portion this next week, you're going to find out how I want you to look for hospitality and how that plays into everything that this interaction we saw between the father of our faith and Yahweh. And to the point to where I would submit to you that the primary issue in Sodom was inhospitality. And how it just created a breeding ground for everything else that we know of Sodom. The homosexuality, the rape, the the incest, the what you know, whatever it is, people just totally, um, you know, idolizing themselves and doing whatever they want to do for whatever reason they want to do it. But the seed of righteousness is connected to hospitality. So I just thought it was interesting, you know, that when we consider, you know, you you hear about it all the time judgments about Sodom and what people associate with that and how they're just operating on a surface level not understanding any of these principles that Yahweh is releasing to us about how he's dealing with all of this Sodom and Avram how he's um, how Yahweh in his wisdom is safeguarding a seed of righteousness throughout generations and hospitality is critical. Right? Like who would think who would think that? Like I'm going to go fight this spiritual battle and we're going to get together and we're going to, you know, we're going to speak in tongues on the mountaintop and all this stuff and like we're like, you know what? We feel like the Holy Spirit is leading different men at different times to host an environment to receive and entertain heaven. So that we can deliberate with Yahweh and engage in what she said. Draw near to Him. Establish principles. Ask. Like He's positioning us to do that. We don't got to go get all crazy, huffy and puffy and march up the the peaks and speak to Leviathan and all that. You know? (laughs) We We don't have to do that. Because we're under, we're seeking to understand. Right? We're, we're, if you draw near, right? You just right. bargain with Yahweh. Yeah. Yeah. But honor, the foundation of honor, and I want us to ha- I want us to not only be zoned in on the Torah portion, but understand how it's just like she said, Yahweh is doing this to show you who you are and draw it out of you. So when he says honor is going to be like over the top in this house, why? 
we don't we don't know but but he's he's having to to teach us to begin to understand and i believe he's adding another thing on top of that well honor made a way for you to even see the dynamic of hospitality yeah. predicating keeping the way in righteousness and justice and deliberating with yahweh on behalf of a grievously sinful nation. But as we go into this next Torah portion, this next chapter, look at look through the lens of hospitality and how it's affecting everything. And it's at, it's pretty crazy. I mean, in the first few verses you guys would be like, "What the heck?" <laughs> But man, there this I feel like man, how far when you consider communities that have been engaging in Torah portions year after year for their entire life and the depths to which yeah. they begin to understand how Yahweh is and we're like just we've only done this for what 8 foot 15 weeks People have been engaging in this for a lifetime. And how how much greater would you understand Yahweh? You know what I mean? It's just it's amazing to think and there's so much for us to chew on in this, and it's like we've only read this Torah portion once. Let alone seventy times and all the different things that he would reveal in it. But um man, everything she released, I I Man, he's he's teaching us things that are absolutely kingdom, and it is absolutely counterintuitive, countercultural, supernatural, um, and is not what we have known. So, I wanna, I don't. This fits, but I'm not quite sure exactly how it fits. But I just, I feel like I want to kind of declare. Uh, per, uh, house testimony. So when he says that we haven't walked in this, there's an aspect that he's showing us, like what he's saying, that there's this foundation of honor and hospitality and walking righteous. But I, it's not. It's not a but. I don't. I don't. I don't exactly know what I'm. What I'm feeling. But going into Sodom and Gomorrah and all the sin he just listed is not abnormal to this house homosexuality adultery Mm -hmm. more than one partner sexual sin I can list that masturbation these things pornography pornography is not outside of this house not only do we choose to host a presence we go after the very thing that idolatry produces. And in this room, we have had men delivered from homosexuality. In this room, we have had females delivered from a different type of lifestyle. In this room, we sexual sin has been delivered. Masturbation is being conquered. We talk about these things. We say these things. We choose to look right at Sodom and Gomorrah. And I have been one that has said, could there just be one that's righteous? And I'm willing to go into a place that is completely wicked because I'm not afraid of it to be able to find the one. I, I, does that, we do that. 
Yeah. That's what we do. So yes, hospitality and honor and all of those things, but also to be a priest that says, if there's just 10, mm-hmm. would you release justice, right? Or uh, release yeah. liberation. And he has. But that's the type of priesthood, not the other way around where we've seen a culture that says, kick them out. Get them out. Get them out of here. Because because we've got some picture of Sodom and Gomorrah and somehow we've taken the position of Yahweh ourselves. Rain fire on them. Mm -hmm. That ain't your job. Your job is to be Abraham, period. Talk about idolatry. uh, Idolatry. So here I stand as a priest trying to call out righteousness, and the very thing gets mm-hmm. turned when the, when idolatry itself is the one that says put fire on him. Yeah. No, that's I don't that you're taking his place. Yeah. This house is known for for hosting a presence and standing on behalf and deliberating with Yahweh and saying, surely you won't get rid of the wicked with the righteous. Let's find them. Right? So I just want to personally testify that this house is known for tackling sexual sin. And looking it head on and saying no, which is the opposite of idolatry. It is being in that place of priesthood, that place of intercession, intercession, standing in the gap for things to say, not not because you... um, there's nothing about this chapter that Abraham says, well, let's just love them where they're at. Yeah. Let's just meet them where they're at. Yeah. Right? That's not what this is. Right. But it is saying, yeah. can we find? Yes, you absolutely meet yeah. them where they're at. He, he went down to see him yeah. for himself. But when you're there, it's for the purpose of. Yeah. It's for the purpose of transformation. Yeah. Right. And that's what this house is known for. So I just want to I just want to personally testify that that as we get into all of this stuff that there are things that we've been walking in knowing as a remnant that that he that he is the one that 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 sets the remnant remnant aside and yet the remnant has to respond and say yes and that that has happened and is happening but I just wanted to like remind us of the victories and 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 they're real victories they're not whimsical. Yeah. It's real transformation. That's why this house isn't filled with 300 people. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah. Abraham just said 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine with 10. Yeah. Yeah. And now that I know that it could have been four, I'll take four. <laughs> right? I mean, this is good. This is good stuff because he's talking about Nate. Now, now, now that seems. Well, anyways, we can get into that. But that seems weird. He's supposed to birth a nation. Mm-hmm. So it seems counterintuitive yeah. right, right. to be saying, how about 50, 40, yeah. when 10? When he I'm supposed gone to be. Up. Yeah. He could have been like, what about. Yeah, like the, but he's supposed to birth a name. But that, that's how you have to see things and view things to be able to know what a year from now looks like. Yeah. Because he had no idea at this time that Isaac was going to be the one that was going to birth some things. Right. So. Those ten people were that seed of righteousness that were in the lineage of Yeshua. Yeah. Right? It's like yeah. ten people, but Yeshua's ancestors. I mean, that's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Well, and like I said, and in the end, there wasn't even ten. You know, and, and, and we, we kind of talked about this when they split off uh, Avraham and Lot. Remember when I kind of alluded to the fact that Lot was probably engaging in, in certain things? 
Well, we can see here there's only four. So there wasn't a whole lot of multiplication going on. I mean, actually, when you first read the first couple of things, Lot responds just like Abraham. But clearly there wasn't multiplication because there was only four. His household had not shifted. But you see, Abraham's house had shifted. But what shifted? He, he commanded everyone in his house to, to have a sign. There was, there was unity. There was commandment. There was, there, you know, so, so anyways, we're going to, we'll, we'll get into all that. But I just wanted to, you know, throw that out there yeah. about this house. Amen. My Bible is better. <laughs> so, one of the things, like when I had been reading, uh, the Torah portion through the week that it stuck out, and it's cool to hear the word that Mom used in difficult versus marvelous, uh, and the similarity between the two because there was a period of time that, or like a little while back, I had challenged within tithe, like like how crazy would it be if we tithe in such a way like what we expect our income to be? Or have we even um, pressed in to see what should I be doing in, in, in a way financially, but also in a way to Im impact kingdom? And tithing in such a way that ties to that, because things look impossible that way. Typically, we're on the kind of behind side, where we're just like, okay, well, this helps, I made this, what I tithe? And versus an intentionality side, can seem impossible or difficult and so that was what was highlighted to me through the week but then when you look at the word finances or just like characteristics of finances it's typically of a folk like a strategic focus and when you hear the the term from the world side saying it's a strategic focus it all of a sudden doesn't sound very crazy to be why have i not pressed into what what does kingdom see me operating in? And tithing like that. And, and so just as a challenge as we prepare, um, I'm going to pass the bucket if there's anyone that is um, tithing by cash or check. But uh, if not, I know what most of us do through text to give. Um, but being intentional within our next weeks to like ask, Ask y'all, what, what, what are my finances supposed to look like? Yeah. And what is it, what am I supposed to be impacting? And what am I supposed, can I have strategic focus with you? Like, can you show me the strategy? Yeah. Not what the world says, not what you think sounds good, or not a number that sounds awesome. But pressing in to ask him, what am I supposed to be doing? Where am I supposed yeah. to be at? So yeah. that was what uh, was highlighted to me this week. And, Amen. All right. Well, as we're ending our night, I think that what was super um, unique about tonight and about this week's more portion has been that Yahweh continues to add in the awakening to responsibility that he's calling for his covenant partner to respond by reminding us, like we talked about last week, by reminding us of who he is 
that he is, has been, and will always be a faith partner, but that there is a response that he is waiting and that he's longing for. Right? So, so our response, our responsibility is literally being stirred up in us because he longs, needs, desires to have a partner. Right? So the, those are the connections that have been taking place since we started being reintroduced to who he is, right? But then what happened tonight is Yahweh began to direct us in what does it actually look like to be one. Not, not that he hasn't before in the sense of the more that we understand covenant, the more direction we'll have in what it looks like to be a partner, hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. But part of what came tonight was this is how. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you not only in revealing my faithfulness on behalf of a nation that I already see and know. Yeah. But I'm gonna draw you near and ask you to come close which you can choose to do or not, right? He could choose to come close. He could choose to host him. He could choose, or he could have said, no, no thank you, mm-hmm. no thank you. I'm busy, yep. I'm tired, yep. we're in doubt, we're discouraged, <laughs> we're unsure, we're, yeah. we're, we're tired, mm-hmm. we're, we're getting old, I mean, I mean whatever, <laughs> like whatever, I mean, Of obeying the law, 
yeah. which already is to, to be a covenant partner in simply upholding my vows. Yeah. But I think what's flipping for me tonight, or what's being added to, is that's that's the beginning. That's the bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like I, where I, I think I think that our our scope, I hope our scope tonight and moving forward is being broadened and is being expanded. That yes, we are we are stepping into the fulfillment of our vows, but those foundational vows and laws are unto learning how to stand on the aspiration. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amen. Which has been the heart's cry of at some point in your life, in its purity, when you received him, was there but was swept away. Mm-hmm. By the moment you were told you don't have a responsibility. Yep. So so embrace fully what we're embarking on. The response and the responsibility of covenant so that we understand what it looks like to be marked, so that can, we can be taught and raised up in what it looks like to stand on behalf of the nation that he's reminding us he's promised us. Yeah. It's like Amen. as we're being reintroduced to him, mm-hmm. we're really being reintroduced to us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomheirsflag.org. Thank you.